opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McAllen. The Las Vegas Review-Journal reports that the Nevada Blind Children's Foundation just opened the state's first blind and visually impaired school for kids in Henderson. The school is called the Children's Learning Center. The school is a full-day program for blind and low-vision kids, ages six weeks plus. Here to talk about the Children's Learning Center is the Nevada Blind Children's Foundation, CEO Emily Smith. Hi, Emily. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do as the Nevada Blind Children's Foundation's CEO. Well, uh, I joined the organization in November of 2014 and uh, was really excited about the mission and the vision of the organization and and really could understand the need in our community. And so, um, you know, we started as a very grassroots organization in 2006. Um, our founders had um, had a son who was visually impaired and they were told that if they wanted a great life for him, they should move to another state. And they went and they looked at other states. They went to Arizona and Colorado and, you know, neighboring, neighboring communities and, they saw the best of the best, and then they came back to Nevada with the idea that they would try to bring that here. And so um, I was hired in 2014 to try to help fulfill that, that mission. What is the mission? Well, the mission is to, it's, it's really a threefold goal for our kids. It's to educate, employ, and empower. It's all about helping our kids to uh, graduate high school first off, to get into a vocation of some sort, and to really empower our kids to uh, be the best that they can be, whatever that looks like for them. Okay, help them get prepared for their future. That's excellent. Let's talk about your new school. How did you decide to open Nevada's first school for the blind and visually impaired? Well, um, like I said, it, you know, in, initially it was it was out of um, I guess a void of what we didn't have. So we we looked at all of those other states and. Nevada was one of seven states that just had no school at all for the blind or visually impaired. And we felt that that was a real gap, especially when doctors were turning families away and telling them to actively leave the state for their kids' um, you know, well-being. And so it, it started from there. And then we really started to dig into what were the needs of blind and visually impaired um, individuals, not just, not just children, but adults in our community. And we found that the statistics in our state for um, adults 21 to you know 70 that are of working age, um, they were very low as far as who had a high school diploma, who had um, a full-time job. It was right around 36% for each of those things. And we felt, you know what, if we could do, you know, a couple key moves here to, in, in, really change the lives of, of our, our kids, these would be the areas we could focus. And from there, we kind of worked our way back. We had, um, we had really served as a, a strong support service to our um, Clark County School District with our K-12 programming and after-school programs for kids. Um, but of course, we found that kids came into the system, 
um, and they weren't they weren't getting what they needed to start. Um, they came in already behind, and then we were spending a lot of time playing catch up. And so, uh, just looking at it, the natural next step was what was that earliest point of intervention that we could have to impact their lives and and that of their families as well. And that's really where the need for the preschool came about. I see where that goes. Now, the Children's Learning Center's ribbon-cutting ceremony was on February 12th, and the place opened on February 3rd. Where exactly is the center located in Southern Nevada? So we're located in Henderson, which is kind of a a suburb of uh, Las Vegas. We're we're still only a 10, 15-minute ride from the Strip. So for for those listeners who are out of state, um, it's all pretty close together. Uh, you can pretty much get anywhere in town here within a 30, maybe 45 minute um, trip. So it's a beautiful neighborhood, great parks. We have, um, you know, right, right butted up to our center. We've got nice um, bike paths. So we have tandem biking with our kids. Uh, there's splash pad water parks real close by. Um, and the community has been, it's very safe, but it's been very welcoming to us being in the neighborhood. And we've had a real showing of support. Um, it, from everybody. I mean, it's, you'd be surprised. We took the kids out to Target for a field trip and we call it our cane train and they, the kids get off the bus and they're, they're making their way into Target. And right away, the manager came over and was like, what, who are you? What is this? How can I help? And it was like, yo, see me on your way out. We'll make sure that you guys get a discount and we want to support your kids. So um, we're really happy with where we're at and we're excited that the community is so excited to be part of what we're doing. Explain the fully inclusive program that's for three to five-year-old kids. Yeah, so we, we started, um, so the, the goal was really to have a full-day program, which is something that our community did not have. So, um, you know, we have early intervention services, which is birth to three, where they kind of go into the home and they'll help a family out and help them kind of prepare their child and how to work with their child and help their child. Um, and then we have our Clark County School District, which had a two and a half hour day program at the age of three to five, um, two and a half hours for four days a week. And so what that does is it, it makes it challenging for our families if they have a child who's um, born with an, you know, a visual impairment. Um, what we found was a lot of families, they either had to have one parent kind of stay out of the workforce um, or they were relying on grandparents or other family members. And our kids weren't getting really as much engagement in those early years. And so that's where this idea of a full day program, um, fully inclusive, they have um, typical peers in the classroom with them. Um, but we are also doing parent education along with that. So uh, it's, it's free for the families, but they have to come to uh, regular meetings so that we can help them to continue what we do in the classroom at home. So it's consistent across the board. And we're, you know, like, like you said, we're just about a little over a month in and um, we're, we're so far, we're seeing our kids making strides and leaps and bounds. I mean, it's just, it's really amazing at how quickly um, they are responding to this program. Now, I understand that the program currently serves six full-time students and two after-school students, correct? That is correct. I understand that you plan to open the school's infant and toddler room later on. Why not now? Uh, mostly it was funding. Um, funding drove the, the start of this. You know, we've, for just for our um, preschool classroom, we have an early education teacher. 
we have a special education teacher and we have a teacher of the visually impaired plus um, one additional staff who's like an assistant to the classroom. Um, she's actually actively getting her master's in special education. So that's a lot of teachers for one classroom. And when we looked at, you know, the, the cost to do both and what, what we initially tried to do was let's have the first, um, you know, my goal was to try to have the first two years paid in full to give us time to get some of these other funding resources in place. So there are um, options for our families like the child care subsidy. Um, there's assistant food programs because we do provide food, um, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and all of the snacks throughout the day. So uh, all of these things are, are great and will be helpful in the long term, but they take time to get set up on. And what we didn't want to do is open and say, okay, those who can afford to pay get to come and those who are waiting for a subsidy and that could take two, three months, whatever, um, that your child has to sit on the sidelines. And so what we ended up doing was just opening with the one classroom as we get these things together. Um, and then as we start to get those funding uh, streams together, we'll be able to open up the other classrooms. Uh, talk about the curriculum a little bit. Uh, what, what do you teach the kids who are blind and visually impaired? I know you go to Target, but um, <laughs> what do you teach them in the classroom? So, uh, well, we, we're using a typical uh, for classroom curriculum. So we use teaching strategies, creative curriculum, which is um, used by our school district. It's, it's used by um, a lot of different groups in town. Uh, we had looked at quite a few different um, curriculums to see how could this, how could these be adapted? What was the best practices? Um, High Scope was another one we looked at. And I know there's a, um, a center for blind and visually impaired children out of Miami that's utilizing that. But uh, so our, our core that we went with was uh, creative curriculum. And then we augment with things like the Oregon Project and, um, and then our teacher of the visually impaired obviously is adapting those resources based on the needs of our students so that, you know, if they're an early braille learner, that they have access to that. If they're low vision, that they're getting theirs, um, their resources in large print. But it's a pretty um, tactile, hands-on learning experience. Can you tell us about some of the uh, staff members, your additional staff members? who've also made this Children's Learning Center possible and are keeping it going? Sure, yeah, so um, like I said, we have uh, our early childhood education teacher. She came to us from uh, years of experience with Head Start, and, and then we've got our special education teacher um, who had actually, she had 10 years in early intervention before she had come to us, um, and well, 10 years in early intervention, and then she had another six years in classroom um, and then came to us. And then our teacher, the visually impaired, has been in, uh, she was in the Carr County School District for 30 plus years. So she's got so much uh, knowledge uh, behind her on that. And then in addition to that, we have um, specialties that come in throughout the, the week. So Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, the kids have a music therapist that comes in. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, we have an occupational therapist who comes in and she's working on things like the toothbrushing and the eating skills and more of that independent living skills. We have some kids who have additional challenges besides their visual impairment. And so um, things like walking and um, additional, you know, needs that they might need. Uh, that's what the occupational therapist is working on. So there's, there's a lot of people in and out of here throughout the day. In addition, we have a registered nurse who's on here full time and she's also our family advocate. So she's the one who works with the families to, um, understand what their needs are outside of 
this one um, piece. So if they have food insecurities at home, if they need help with you know resumes so that they can get full-time employment, uh, transportation issues, whatever that might be, what we're trying to address is um, building up each child's safety net, right? So that families are, are prepared to support them however they need um, so that they've got this really strong safety net as they make their way through through school and, and into you know a world of independence. That's very good. Um, what, what about uh, parent-teacher conferences? How do, you, how do those work? Do you have them uh, after school or do you have special off days for those? So every family coming in uh, starts with an in-home meeting. So our, our family advocate and one of our teachers goes into the home. They do a screening of the child. They'll, that's where they'll kind of get that initial intake of a family to understand who's in the household, what are the other needs, what are the other challenges. Um, and that's kind of where that dialogue starts. And then there's regular uh, notes that go home every day about what the kids are working on, where they've had challenges and what the family can do to support that. And then, as I said, we also have uh, monthly parent, um, you can call them like parent trainings, parent meetings, um, but that's where they, the parent will understand then what, what the next month is going to look like, what the curriculum is that we're working towards. And then from there, um, the, the teachers will meet individually with the families, um, depending on what their availability is to have those conversations. We have, we have so many teachers in the classroom that we can easily, you know, pull one out to meet midday if that's what's needed or meet after school. Um, just because we have so many families that are, uh, like some work grave shifts, some work, you know, mid afternoon. So we've got people kind of circling through, um, on their availability. I also understand that the kids are on a full-time full tuition scholarship, I should say, for the first year and a half of, of attendance, right? That's correct. So our first year was uh, covered by um, donations from a couple different uh, large groups. And like I said earlier, that's really so that we could get some of those under, other funding revenues in place and help parents get through the subsidy paperwork because um, they might be on a wait list. It may take months for some of those to kick in. And in the meanwhile, we didn't want you know kids who couldn't afford it not to be able to attend. So this gives us a little bit of leeway and a little time to get everybody through the process and then hopefully expand again. After that window, what's the average cost of tuition for each week of attendance? So it's about $250 a week. And like I said, that's, um, that's where these subsidies come in uh, based on what the family's income level is, how many people are in the household. And then in addition to that, um, we will be working to offset other costs for families that I, I don't, and honestly, I don't feel like our government subsidies take account for uh, working class, you know, middle America kind of uh, middle income level, basically the working poor, if you will. Um, and so that's one area where we as an organization will continue to fundraise so that we can help offset for those families. Because as I'm sure you're aware, it's not, it's not cheap to have a visual impairment. A lot of the adaptations if they're not covered by um, you know government or insurance and if families don't have access to certain things um, sometimes that can be expensive and so we want to recognize that we want to be able to help families and make sure that no child is turned away because of financial resources it's very expensive yeah 
I understand that there are going to be opportunities for interacting with therapy animals, including ponies. Really? Ponies? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do. We have Actually, we have a lot of animals uh, that, that come in and out of the center. Um, we've had a lot of programs for um, especially our K-12 in the past with our reading, uh, reading to therapy dogs. But with the preschool now, we have added on, uh, we have a group that does therapy ponies. And so they'll bring the ponies in from time to time. And it's great, great for the kids. It's, of course, tactile because they get to feel what a pony feels like. But they'll read to them. They'll learn how to feed them. We actually, the kids have a tortoise on site here. We have a desert tortoise. And they're, you know, part of their day is to go out and feed the desert tortoise and, and learn about looking after other animals and, um, and caring for somebody else. So I think, I think having animals on site here, we've, we have a therapy dog that's here frequently. We have some parrots that come in and um, I just think it, it makes it uh, more of a home environment for, for our kids and very um, engaging in the fact that they have somebody else that they can help to look after. And that, that kind of puts them in a, in a, you know, leadership role, if you will. Very cute. You've mentioned that you want the center to be of high quality and a model for similar schools out there around America. What steps do you in the center plan to take to accomplish that goal? Well, we're currently, now that we're open, uh, we're, we're going through locally in Nevada, it's called the um, QRIS rating system. It's basically like a five-star rating system where they will come in and assess the delivery of our program. And they look at everything from, you know, the actual qualifications of all of our teachers to our policies, how parents are engaged. I mean, what you have on the wall, I mean, it, it really goes in depth. And so um, that's part of the rating system that we're that we're doing on a state level. Um, nationally, there's the um, the early uh, the NACI, which is the uh, Early Learning Program Accreditation. It's through um, through a national organization, and that's another accreditation that we are working towards as well. Um, and, but I, I find that we're in a unique situation because when we go through these standard typical accreditations a lot of those are even based on um, visual components right and so uh, it's interesting that as we we engage in that that you know even on a local level the um, the individual that's counseling us through the the five-star program here uh, was very excited to try to figure out how do we adapt these things specifically for our kids so that we can talk about what's high quality for our children and how might that be you know slightly different from from some of the things that they are looking for in their accreditations. Um, and then aside from that, I think, you know, when we just, we spent a lot of time looking at other communities and what was working well in other communities and, and tried to bring back those best practices for us. Um, and, and what's unique about our situation is that we're, we're not in a densely populated area, right? So, you know, Perkins back East, like very de densely populated metropolitan area, if you look at California, um, you know, there's, there's two, three, four different organizations. You have the Braille Institute, you have the Preschool for the Blind, you have what was Junior Blind Foundation. Um, they can afford to have two and three different organizations kind of taking little bits and pieces of, of what is necessary for their population. But in Nevada, especially in Southern Nevada, um, we're kind of disconnected and we don't have that. So from a resource situation, 
it, you know, the preschool is one component of what we do at Nevada Blind Children's Foundation. Um, we also have, you know, day camp and we have, you know, K-12 after school programs and independent living programs and robotics and clubs and, I mean, you name it, it's all kind of happening under here, but really it's more of like a comprehensive model from birth to age 22 where we can kind of help a, a child and their family through all of those critical transitions um, and those those times, you know, going through the school district and trying to get their first job and everything. Um, we can be there for each of those points and it gives a point of consistency for our families, but it also um, lowers the overhead cost on any one of those things, right? So I, I think, it, and I feel like we've done a, a good job from for our community of trying to figure out what, what works well across the country and bring that here. And that's one of the things that I think might make us just a slightly different, just based on need. How can our listeners learn more about both the foundation and the school? Sure. Well, uh, visit our website, which is nvblindchildren.org. And of course, they can always call here and talk to any one of us. Um, our number is 702 735-6223. And uh, we're, we're happy to share and we're, we're happy to learn. I think that's the other thing too, is, you know, if you have listeners out there who, who are doing something unique that, that feel like, Hey, wait a minute, I've got something to share. Um, I, I think that makes our community stronger when we can all share best practices and, uh, and just do better for our kids. Okay, Emily, we hope that the Children's Learning Center helps Southern Nevada's blind and visually impaired kids learn, grow, and play. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. And before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this show. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website, that's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. My new email address is speakout at acbradio.org, and my show archive is at acbradio.org slash speaking dash out dash four dash dash blind. Please note that there is a link located at the top half of the page and below the heading that says Home Speaking Out for the Blind, where you can subscribe to the podcast feed and listen to Speaking Out for the Blind shows, ranging from episode 94 to the present. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening. And remember to speak out. Here at ACB Radio Mainstream, we are always working to improve the quality of our programming. If you have any feedback about anything you have heard here on ACB Radio Mainstream, please let us know by sending an email to support at acbradio.org. That's support at acbradio.org. You are listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, connecting the blind community. Luscious ocean waves, peaceful music, inviting us to spend time together in the quiet. This show, in its sixth year and now on 10 stations, brings each week peaceful music and inspiring messages for greater well-being. What if some added peacefulness could give you some extra elasticity of spirit 
during your week. What if added quiet time could make a difference in actions versus reactions, in choices and overall quality of life? I'm Debbie Hazelton, bringing this show each Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern here on ACB Radio Interactive. I hope you'll join us where together our time we spend in the quiet makes a positive difference in our world. That's Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, here on ACB Radio Interactive, In the Quiet. This is Cindy Van Winkle, Membership Services Coordinator. If you are not already part of the ACB family, you can join us by going to acb.org or call us at 612-332-3242 and we'll help you join our community. ACB. 